Welcome to episode two. Today we'll be giving our New Year's Day bowl game predictions, talking about the curse of the number one seed in NCAA football, and ranking our top ten moments of the decade. It's Madison, it's Parker, and this is The Pocket. What's up, what's up, what's up? Two of the pocket. How's everybody doing? I hope everybody had a very Merry Christmas. And by the time this comes out, it'll be... New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, yes. We'll we'll be start 2020. Going into a brand spanking new decade, people. That's uh, that's Debatable is what we heard. It's a debatable new decade. Yeah, that's that's weird. I didn't get that. The 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 theory is that the new decade doesn't start until 2021. Yeah. And then so does that mean that the decade ends on New Year's next yeah. year? Correct. That's what the boomers are saying. Okay, well that's dumb. I yeah. mean, you you change that number, dude. That's what I'm saying, but you know, I guess it's debatable. We're counting it as the new decade. And to give our last off-topic take of 2019, I guess. Start it off. What's your off-topic take today, Parker? Oh, um, well, my off-topic take of the week is that 2019 has been the best year for music ever. Now, a lot of people like to point out to... I don't know, like, you know, oh, the 60s is the best decade for music, or, you know, the 80s or whatever, but can anybody ever pinpoint, like, a for real year that was the best for music? Well, I think I can. We're talking about everyone and their mama releasing some pretty solid, you know, albums for the most part. Some people put out some singles, and, I mean... Just the fact that we've got so much good music from so many people this year is ridiculous. Um, who all released an album this year? Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift. Kanye West, uh, Post Malone. Post Malone's album was really good. I was, really was kind of shocked by both T-Swizzles and Kanye's album. I'm not really a big T-Swizzle fan, but it was pretty good, and it topped pretty high in the charts. Mm-hmm. This year we got Old Town Road. Old Town Road probably could be the song of the decade if we're being probably. serious. It stayed at the number one spot for I don't know well over a month. I'm pretty sure uh, all the remixes, you know, pretty fire. Um, I didn't like Yodel Boys that much, but that's another. I don't know. Um, and then you know we've got to see some legends return. Uh, you know maybe nobody cares, but there's a great. Um, alt metal band called tool and they have not released an album in 13 years and this year they finally released their uh uh latest studio album and i mean you know i liked it a lot and fun fact for like a very hot second for like maybe a couple of days uh fear inoculum their album went over taylor swift's album and when they put all of their music for digital downloads and like Spotify and stuff, that was up in the Spotify charts and on the iTunes charts for a good week as well because everybody was just buying the hell out of their music. But 
I mean, just so many other people released great albums this year. I'm Lizzo, her, I guess it was an EP. I don't know if it was an album or not. No, it was an album. Was it an album? Mm-hmm. Okay. It, it's pretty, it's pretty good. I mean, you know, they're all kind of catchy. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of a fan. So, and then also, uh, legendary Ozzy Osbourne has released, uh, I believe two singles so far in 2019 for the, uh, his upcoming album. I say, you know, people always point to decades like the seventies or the eighties being the best year or best decade for music. Well, I say that 2019 so far has been the best year for music just from the variety that we've gotten. This podcast is strictly five minutes of Parker talking about music. From here on out, that's what we will talk about. Okay. Well, here's my other opinions. I'm kidding. Okay, what do you got? What's your, what's the take of the week? Uh, my take of the week is that sprinkles suck. <laughs> but sprinkles are just bad. I don't care if they're on cookies or cupcakes or cake or by themselves or whatever they don't have a taste they're crunchy on things that aren't meant to be crunchy and they don't look that good i don't care if they're like the rainbow ones that everyone likes i don't care if they're like your fancy sprinkles that look like sugar i don't care what they are they're all bad and i don't like them wow that's it Mm, i don't know man they don't bother me so but that is an interesting take. Okay. Transition. I'm now laying on the floor in a new spot. Time to talk about some sports. Because that's what we all know you're here for. Um, to, we've got, you know, three cohesive topics this week. Instead of just one really big one. So that might be cool. So how we want this podcast to go in general is that we have three topics a podcast that we kind of dive deep into and we're finally getting into that in this podcast but you know we are new to this so we're gonna see how that goes but our first topic of the day is Parker and I are gonna give our predictions for the four New Year's Day bowl games that are coming out Parker do you even know what four games are on New Year's Day I know two of them which two uh the Auburn and the Alabama one awesome do you know what bowl games they are like what the names of the games are oh god hold on Okay, so You're I know it's the Outback one. Bowl. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, of course I'm going to know my own bowl game. And then... Mm, what's the name of the one that Bama's going to? The Citrus Bowl. No, oh, I was about to call it the Orange Bowl. I didn't want to sound dumb, Different though. bowl game. Oh, my bad. So we've got Auburn versus Minnesota in the Outback Bowl. Alabama versus Michigan in the Citrus Bowl. Georgia versus Baylor in the Sugar Bowl, and Wisconsin versus Oregon in the Rose Bowl. Mm, okay. So, which do you want to dive into first? Uh, you know, let's just start off with uh, the Bama boys. So, we've got Alabama and Michigan in the Citrus Bowl, New Year's Day. Alabama is number 13, Michigan's number 14. What are you thinking? Unfortunately, I think Bama is just gonna, you know, blow it up and then all, you know, all hell's gonna break loose because they didn't get into the playoffs or whatever. But, you know, I think, honestly, no competition. I think Bama's gonna win this game by 
at least over a touchdown. Like we're talking seven to ten points. It's my prediction. That's very solid. I do think Alabama will win the game. I think that they're not going to come in as hot and heavy just because they're going to be mad about, at least on the inside, mad about not getting a playoff game. However, all of Alabama's players, that even the ones that are going into the draft, as far as we know at this moment, are going to be playing in the bowl game. Is Tua playing? Well, no. I didn't know. I haven't heard anything about his recovery lately, so I didn't know. He's out for the season. Right. Which includes postseason. Makes sense. I'm stupid. He had surgery. Continue. Anyways, with Michigan, we were, Parker was saying last podcast about how Michigan has stepped up their games and things of that nature, in which that's true. However, the past four seasons, or I guess past three, this one being the fourth, they've been good, but they haven't been great. And they've just been cruising their way through. And so I think that they're going to be able to keep it close with the Alabama team that's coming in because this Alabama team, I feel like since they're not used to this, I feel like there's a chance where they're just going to be like, let's just get in there, finish this game so we can start the new season, start from a fresh plate. I think that's what they're going to want. And so I think that they're going to keep them, keep them close. And, but even with Mac Jones under center, I don't think that they're going to be able to fully stop them. So my final prediction is Alabama 35, Michigan 27. Okay, that's solid. I mean, you know, I did speak pretty highly of Michigan last podcast, but I, you know, they are obviously improving, but I just don't think they've improved fast enough to beat Bama. Would I love to see it happen? Of course, but do I think it's going to happen? Unfortunately, no. I think Michigan's going to have to just keep on keeping on for another couple of years before they're ready to take on the Giant. I agree. Moving on to the non-New Year's Six Bowl, we'll talk about Auburn-Minnesota. The thing with, I have, there's, I was really doing research on the Auburn-Minnesota thing because I was saying last podcast about how Minnesota's on the up and up, and I was doing like stat-by-stat stuff, and the stats, these two teams, are so similar. It's insane. Auburn's points per game and Minnesota's points per game are both 34. Auburn's points allowed per game is 18 and Minnesota's is 22. Auburn's yards per game is 421. Minnesota's is 426. And then once you look at like player on player, Nick's has passed for 2,300 yards. Morgan has passed for 2,900 yards. Then you have Booby, who's running for 700 yards. And then you have their running back, Smith, who's run for over 1,000 yards. The stats are so close. In most of the stats, Minnesota has the upper hand, which you wouldn't think. And then, like, going deeper into it, Auburn's a three-loss team. Minnesota's only a two-loss team. It's going to be – I think it's going to be a lot better game than people think. Yes. Uh, I'm actually going to be – going to this game and seeing it uh, with the band. And I, for one, think that this is going to be a pretty exciting game to end the season. Um, You know, I love it when my team wins, but I think more than that, I really do just like watching a good football game because I can tell you the amount of times I've just wanted to walk out of a football game because, you know, we were beaten up on, I don't know, Liberty or Tulane. 
and you know we won and that's cool but you know it just wasn't fun but i had a lot of fun watching the lsu auburn game which we lost by three points but it was an incredible game you know so i think that win or loss i still think that auburn just with the um schedule difficulty that they've had this year um I think they're going to be a little bit more battle-hardened and ready to take on this team, you know. I think I think uh, Auburn is going to come out on top, but I really don't see it being much more than, like, five or six points. Yeah, I agree. I think that what's going to give Auburn the edge is their defense, especially For since sure. Derek Brown. Brown is playing, Marlon's playing, I think that if Auburn can get a heavy lead in the first half, they'll end up taking Derek out, which hopefully, obviously, that's the best for him because he's trying to go to the NFL and nobody wants to hurt their future career. But I think Auburn's defense is what's fully going to put them over the edge, and I'm saying it's going to be Auburn 28, Minnesota 20. Wow. Good take. All right, on to the next bowl game. We'll go down to the... Let's talk about the Rose Bowl, Wisconsin and Oregon. I think Oregon should have one less loss than they do. I believe that as incredible as the game was to watch, I really think that, you know, if Auburn hadn't got lucky at the very beginning of the season, right at the tail end of that game, I really don't think we could have won that game without a little bit of luck. So, I mean, what they they are a two-loss team. I really think they could be a little bit higher up and be a one-loss team if, you know, Auburn hadn't have punched it out in the end. So, right off the bat, even though they are really close in the rankings, my instincts are already telling me that I think Oregon is going to be pulling ahead in this game. Yeah, I have a little bit of a different take, I guess. I agree with the fact that Auburn did get lucky on the opener of the season with the win of that game, and I think Oregon played to win, and then Auburn ended up just getting lucky in the end like Auburn happens to do a lot. Hey. <laughs> and, but, and that's how we saw Oregon coming into the season, and, you know, we saw Justin Herbert at the beginning as a Heisman candidate, and just throughout the season they kind of, I don't want to say that they went downhill because they ended as just a two-loss team and sitting at number six. However, I feel like there was a lot more that they could have done. And I feel like Wisconsin started slow and has been building their momentum, where Oregon's doing the opposite, where they started strong and has been slowing down a little bit. Not to any, like, they're crashing and burning, because I think that if they would have won the opener, I think there's a higher chance they'd be in the playoffs right now. Oh, as a one-loss team? I bet they could have gotten them. I bet they could have gotten into the playoffs. I think it would have been a really good debate between Oregon and Oklahoma at that point. But that's beside the point. I Herbert did good in the Pac-12 championship, but we're forgetting that Wisconsin almost beat Ohio State in the Big Ten championship. Like, it was close for, like, the first half. It was crazy. And Wisconsin has their running back, Taylor, I forget his first name. I think it's Jonathan Taylor. He's crazy. He's been doing so good, and I think he's so underrated. And I think that they're motivated, and they 
want to jump those two spots, even though there won't really be a ranking, they'll jump those two spots and take over Oregon. And I think Wisconsin is going to pull this out 41-37. All right. Good take. And then we got one more bowl game. We've got the Dirty Dogs. And the Baylor Bears. And the Baylor Bears. (laughs) (laughs) And the Sugar Bowl. Georgia had a similar season this season like they did last season where they did pretty well in the regular season and then big time blew it in the SEC championship and it got them out of the playoffs. So I think they're a good team. I think Fromm is a really good quarterback. Mm-hmm. But I think that Baylor might be able to take this one. Hot take alert. I think that if Baylor can just tighten up their defense and not let Fromm complete those passes, that they'll win in a really close game. Oh, yeah, because Fromm is a passing maniac. That guy can hurl a ball, dude. Yeah, but besides all of the passing, I don't know, Baylor's been doing good uh also i'd love to see georgia lose um it would just kind of put a little chuckle on the end of this already pretty you know rough ending for them them getting clobbered by the tigers at the sec championship that was so surprising even i didn't think that was gonna happen yeah we talked about that last pot so we don't have to talk about it again still surprised by that yeah but i'm Gonna be pulling for Baylor in this game because Chip and Joanna, obviously. And if you don't know who that is, oh, no. then never mind. But no, I think that Baylor can win this if they put in the effort. And all it's gonna take for them is to just tighten up their defense. Yeah, I agree. I, it, it's pretty possible for LSU to come in and give Georgia the left claw, and then the Baylor Bears come in and give them the right claw. That's what I'm saying. So, my final prediction is going to be Baylor 25, Georgia 21. Ooh, close game. Very close game. Uh, up next, moving into our next topic, a little fun one for you here. Have you noticed that the number one team for NCAA basketball, they have that spot for just a little bit, and then immediately they just seem to lose it all? And not just... And not just lose. They yeah. lose to an unranked team. And this has happened like three or four times. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. So, you know, kind of started off, I think the big just no-name loss has started with um, Kentucky. They held the number one spot and then lost to this Ev- Evansville and that kind of just started like a little spiral. Uh, there's a couple of teams in here uh, that have been number one but have lost to some pretty closer ranked teams. But, I mean, just the fact that, you know, some of these top teams like Duke, then they went up to number one and then lost to SFA mm-hmm. and just slid all the way down. And there's these unranked teams that people are kind of just, you know, pushing to the side and these supposed college basketball powerhouses like uh, Duke are just all of a sudden dropping like flies to uh, people that don't have a number next to their name. Yeah, because then after Duke, Louisville was on top, and then they lost to an unranked Texas Tech. From there, Kansas was on top, 
they lost to a ranked team, so we don't really count that. But that's three teams who have been sitting at the number one seed for a little bit, super short-lived, getting beat by unranked teams, and then falling. Yeah, the number one spot in basketball does not stay constant for very long. But, um, you know, in, just in this very start of the season, I mean, we're not really that far into it. Uh, only about a couple months. Uh, we're talking about five teams in total who have held the number one spot and have lost it. Three of those teams being unranked. And now everybody wants their own team to be, you know, the best in the nation or whatever. But, you know, as <laughs> as an Auburn basketball fan, I got to say, I don't know if I want to see my team at number one because I'm kind of scared that, you know, we're going to have like a cupcake break in between a couple of big games and then we're going to lose our spot. Because that would... That would blow, man. It's, I mean, with the curse going on, it's possible. We'll see how Gonzaga, how they pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, that game, that team is so hard to pronounce for me. Gonzaga does, sitting at number one. But Auburn is one of the only teams in the top 25 who's still undefeated. undefeated. There's, there's just one other team. Yeah, there's two undefeated teams right now. So only time will tell about what's going to happen with the number one spot. I think it'd be funny if Gonzaga lost to, I don't know, just Alabama or something. I don't even think they're ranked. No, definitely not. (laughs) Or like Vanderbilt or, I don't know, South Alabama. You never know, man. All right, well, that was just a little fun topic for you. Uh, It's just kind of funny stuff there. Interesting kind of a weird pattern going on right there and then uh we've got our final topic we're gonna wrap up this year for us with our top sports moments of the decade number 10 we've got the 2013 sec championship game which was auburn versus missouri so, here's what happened. Gus Malzahn has just become Auburn's head coach. And, uh, you know, Gene Chizik, who was the coach for three years, had a great run with the national championships and then just completely blew everything. Like, Auburn was doing awful for a good two years. I mean, I remember, you know as a kid walking in on Saturdays into the living room and be like, are we winning mom? She was like, no, no, we just lost again. So, um, you know, when Gus came in, everybody was really excited for this change. And Gus Malzahn led a very, very, very powerful season. And, you know, this championship game was really, you know, just a big highlight, I think, for his career as one of the only you know, one of the only football coaches to come into a, you know, a team and then win a conference championship as their first year as a head coach. That is impressive. So, you know, just the the good plays in the game. It was a pretty high-scoring game, too. Uh, overall, I remember watching that game, and it was just being amazing. 
you know, coming out of, you know, this little dry area, this dry age, and then coming in and just taking names, man. And it was an impressive game to watch. And now, number nine. Number nine, we have the, the 2010 Super Bowl, which was between the Saints and the Colts. The Saints only Super Bowl win. And this Super Bowl just had so much meaning for it for the Saints and New Orleans and kind of just the whole state of Louisiana because this was all in dedication after Hurricane Katrina. So Mm -hmm. Hurricane Katrina happened in 2005 and the Superdome was destroyed. So the Saints had to take the rest of the season, every other game that they had for the rest of the 2005 season had to be played on other people's turf. The Saints had their best season the following year in 2006 when Drew Brees came in and just was a beam of light for that team and they almost went to the championship but ultimately didn't because they lost to the Colts. And so the Saints, they kept doing it the next few seasons but they were like right there and couldn't make it and finally in the five-year mark after Katrina, the Saints got to the Super Bowl and was able to defeat the Colts. And that whole game was just kind of dedicated to those who lost their lives and lost their houses and lost everything through Hurricane Katrina, which was a really devastating time for the city of New Orleans. And that was just like the era of Drew Brees because he just broke so many records. He's still breaking records today. It's just what he's doing is outstanding. And I think that was one of the best years for New Orleans. Yeah. He's, Drew Brees is one of the better football players in uh, professional football, and he owns a really good sports bar, so. True. All right. That was good stuff. Now we're going to be moving on to number eight, which is the 2019 National Championships. Now, uh, this would be loss number three for Bama to a team with the moniker of Tigers. Fun fact. Uh, anyways, this going into this game, I think everybody just kind of expected Bama to win, but Clemson to put up a pretty decent fight, but uh, didn't seem like that was going to be the case. What actually happened was Clemson, you know, surprisingly kind of blew Bama out of the water, and that is Nick Saban's most points-like difference in a score as the head coach of Alabama, the scores the score is pretty darn far apart, and just the fact that you know Clemson was able to come in and you know take the title which Bama had taken from them last year, it was just a really cool redemption. And I don't know, it was kind of a nice way to you know start off that uh, two thousand nineteen year with just a really interesting football game that I really don't think anybody was expecting. I agree. The day that game happened was the day that I went back to LSU after winter break. And I remember just sitting in my dorm room watching it on my laptop and being like, I, this is not happening. Like, I'm living in a fever dream it's right cool. now. It was crazy. All right. Coming in at number seven, we have the Auburn-Kansas game of 2019. Now, that game was a very good game. Uh, you know, last year was a record year for Auburn basketball. Um, 
you know, Bruce Pearl was really working his magic with that team, and I really think that was one of those games where Chumo Kiki and Bryce Brown really got to shine. Uh, you know, this was right before his injury, too, so this was really a great game to watch that whole core team that had been working that whole season kind of work together, and then it kind of all ended suddenly later. But, um, you know, I really think this is one of those key games that kind of solidified Auburn's position into the playoffs, and I really think it was a good game-changer for the season. Yeah, I think this is the game that people from around the country were finally realizing the kind of team that Auburn had and were finally able to take them in consideration when it came to March Madness. Oh, I agree. Was a uh, was one for the books for sure. All right, now number six, we've got At number six. We're gonna be talking about the LSU Texas A&M game of twenty eighteen, which was one of the craziest games that I think that I've ever seen. It's probably one of the craziest games of the decade. It's so almost confusing to talk about just because of how it went down. LSU lost to Texas A and M seventy four to seventy two, which is the most combination of points ever in an SEC game. I think possibly ever in a college football game. It was they're tied for the longest. There's like four other teams who have also been into or four other games that also went into seven overtimes. That's right, seven overtimes. The game was almost five hours long, and it all started. Bad juju because LSU was up at the end of the regulation play and they prematurely gave Coach O the Gatorade bath. And from that on is when we all knew that it was bad juju. If you live in Louisiana, you believe you believe in juju. And that was just not the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. They messed it all up. They and really did. <laughs> that was... Just to give you perspective on how long that game was, uh, last year the Iron Bowl was in Bryant-Denny. And so the game was finished, and we made a two-and-a-half-hour drive. You know, It was a little bit longer because it was on a charter bus, so like a two-and-a-half-hour drive from Alabama or from uh, Tuscaloosa to Auburn. And me and my roommate got back home, and the game was still going on. Like, I I think it was, uh, by that point, I think it was, like, in third overtime or something like that. Once the overtimes came, the teams were literally just going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Like, actually, it was, like, LSU scores, Texas a scores. Like, within minutes. It wasn't like it took 20 plays to get down the field and make the touchdown. It was, like, instantly. Like, it was just happening so fast. Oh, it yeah. was like, it was almost like these kids could have gone on for hours. Which, Granted, yeah. obviously you can't because football is a very physical game. They had already been playing for four hours, so they were extremely tired, I can assume. And at that point, I really, I can't blame LSU for losing that game because they pushed so hard. I give huge props to Texas A&M for winning that game and the boys who could push themselves that hard to, like, make that final score on that final drive. It's just the fact that it took that long and it was put up, that many points were put up, and that it had seven overtimes 
it just blows my mind. Just, like, wrapping my head around that and thinking about, like, not only the fans who were there to sit through five hours of football, but the players who actually had to play five hours of football. And the band who was busting their chops for five hours. Uh, It is really taxing on the lips to play, you know, really loud defensive cheers for an entire football game. I know I've come home from football games and I've got like, you know, busted chapped lips and stuff. I could not imagine what those kids have gone through during that game. Also, I got to say that was one of my funniest, one of my favorite like funny sports moments of the season where the LSU player got a pass interference and then he was arguing with the ref and the ref had already thrown his flag. So he threw his hat instead of a flag. Oh yeah, that's the rule. Once the refs run out of flags, they just throw their hats. That was so funny. <laughs> so just moving along, Parker's got the 2010 Natty at number five. Mm-hmm. I think. I think anybody who watched that game can agree that that was, you know, just a special game. Uh, we got Cam Newton that year, and we uh, Auburn had run a super impressive season. Um, you know, being all all of the teams that stood before us to get to the national championships, and just some of the crazy plays that were made during that game. I remember one standing out to me big time was uh, going for it about four fourth down and maybe a yard or so, and Cam Newton literally jumping over a pile of people and rolling on the ground to make a first down. Uh, I remember that one pretty vividly as a kid, but, you know, after that, you know, that was the second national championship that Auburn had ever won, with the other one being all the way back in the 50s, which, you know, that's when championships get a little iffy, especially with just the difference in regulations and whatnot, you know, to have a modern championship title to your team is you know something that every college team wants and I really think that that was you know a great game and what really put Cam Newton up in the you know tops for uh you know the NFL picks and whatnot so a pretty monumental game for a ton of kids careers that night all right uh number four We've got, Madison wants to talk about the Cubs winning the World Series in 2016. Yeah, the 2016 World Series was crazy. I feel like many people were cheering for the Cubs just so they could break the curse. This was the first time that the Cubs went to the World Series, period, since 1945. And then this was the first time that they were able to win the World Series since 1908. So, it was the longest drought of not having a championship for Chicago. Or for any team. And the game was just, the series was crazy. Because it went all the way into game seven. Which is always so exciting when the World Series, you get to play all seven of those games. So, going into seven, obviously they were tied three and three. The Cubs started with pitcher Kyle Hendricks. And he's really good. He was the leading ERA for the Cubs, and then as soon as the Cubs were able to step up to bat, we had Fowler lead off the game with a home run for them automatically. So they're already up 1-0. 
going into the Game 7 of the World Series, you know. So, in the middle of the game, they pulled out Hendricks. They put Lester in, who is the more well-known pitcher for the Cubs. But the big thing is that at the end of the ninth inning, they were tied, forcing more innings. But before that could happen, there was a rain delay. And it was about a 17-minute rain delay. And the Cubs say that that rain delay is what caused them to win. They said that they went into the locker room or whatever they call it, and they were able to think about it. They were able to talk to their coaches. They were able to get it out. And from there on, they just went on and won the World Series. They say that that rain delay was the whole reason that they won that game. And just the fact that they were able to break the over 100-year curse of them not having a championship is something that we is something that you don't see in a lifetime obviously because it's over 100 years but being able to see that I feel like is one of the most crazy sports moments of the decade yeah I remember watching videos of like super old Cubs fans like people who are like in their 70s and 80s who've just been waiting their literal whole lifetimes for the Cubs to win a World Series and them just being so ecstatic over it 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 was really you know just insane to see because it just doesn't happen it didn't happen for like over 100 years so it was really good for the Cubs now up next we've got the Tiger Woods comeback at number three Oh, yeah. I feel like a lot of America was cheering for Tiger Woods once we knew that he was going to be back in 2018 to do what Tiger Woods does best. And, you know, he went all the way to winning the Masters for his fifth title at the beginning of this year. And, you know, he's been through a lot. He's been through, obviously, all the scandals and all of that. But then just the surgeries that he's had to have alongside of all of those scandals and just his name being in the media and not being in a super great light. The fact that he was able to put all that away and come back and take this Masters 13 under par. I feel like it's just a huge moment for him. I feel like it's one of those sports stories that just shows how sports can get you through stuff. It's one of those redemption stories that eventually gets turned into a movie at some point in time. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. So I think that it's one of the... Best things that I've seen happen to an individual player of this decade, for sure. I was really happy that he won. I'm a big Tiger Woods fan. So. Oh, yeah. Um, I really, I'm going to be honest with y'all. I really don't follow golf, but everybody knows who Tiger Woods is. But, you know, and everybody knew what happened to him. And it's just kind of inspiring to see how he was able to push, you know, through everything and come back. And I'm. It's just incredible to watch it all happen. Because, you know, you really feel good for those people. You know, you just kind of want them to win at that point. And when you see them do it, it's awesome. Oof. All right, we got a doozy here at number two. We've got what Madison wrote down as the NOLA no-call big rip. Because, oh my goodness. That is allegedly... Of course, according to a lot of NFL fans, specifically Saints fans like us, what costed the Saints to play in the Super Bowl? This particular game is 
super personal to me, but I'm going to talk about it, or I'm going to try to not talk about it like it's personal to me. And the reason that it's number two in the decade isn't because of how big the loss was, but because of the rule change that came after. And that's why we put it at number two ultimately. But what happened was the Saints and the Rams were playing for the NFC Championship, which obviously whoever won that game got to go straight into the Super Bowl. Now, obviously, obviously the Saints wanted this because they've only won one Super Bowl. They had done phenomenal last season, and everyone expected the Saints to pull this out in what would have been a really great game. But what happened was, toward the end of the game, there was an incompletion from Drew Brees that debatably, I guess, should have been a pass interference. The pass interference was not called. And due to that, the Rams ended up winning the game. Now, granted, some people say that even if the pass interference was called, the Saints wouldn't have won the game because it would have tied it up. It would have gone into overtime, blah, blah, blah. That's not the point. The point is that the pass interference was not called. And from this, there's now the debate of should human error be part of a football game because the whole point is that the pass interference wasn't called the next play started therefore whatever happened in the play before is already is already over and some people like to say that human error is part of sports that's why the refs are human that's why we don't have some kind of super genius robot to referee the game some people disagree and say that the game should be played fairly, and if that was supposed to be a pass interference, it can come back. It should be called at a pass, as a pass interference. The player who made the supposed pass interference didn't actually see the play until over an hour after the game, and when a media personnel showed him the video, immediately the person who did it said, oh, yeah, and I quote, pretty sure there's a quote, oh, hell yeah, that's a P.I., Mm-hmm. Everybody was, you know, ranting and raving about it afterwards because it, it, it was a crazy play. And the rule change that came out of it is that um, you can now review what you believe to be pass interferences. Yeah, you can now, referees in the NFL or coaches in the NFL, however you want to phrase it, are now allowed to review pass interference and non-calls. Which is very important because I feel like anybody who watches football and has any team knows that sometimes pass interference calls that do or don't get called can change the tide of an entire football game. Mm-hmm. As it seemed to have this game. So, you know, it, it was a pretty momentous game to say the least. Yeah, it, I think overall the reason why the rule change happened, especially the non-call part of the change, is because of the fact that whoever won this game was going to the Super Bowl. If it was any other circumstance, if it was just a regular season game, everyone would have been upset, sure, but nothing would have come out of it, I don't think. So I think it was just the perfect storm to bring in this new reviewable option. And I do... I'm kind of like half and half on the situation once I take myself being a Saints fan out of it on the fact that I do think human error is part of sports because the last thing I want is for to be watching a football game every single play being called back because 
there's some kind of non-human source supposed to analyze every single play. That's the last thing that I want. I think that human error is part of it. I think that's what keeps it interesting for the most part. However, when it's blatant things like that where the whole stadium, including the person who committed the foul, is saying that it's a foul, I think there has to be a balance somewhere. I don't know how we're going to work out that balance. I don't know how it should work. I just think that I'm 50-50 on the situation. I think it was crazy how it went on, how it turned into so much, how Saints fans are still mad about it, as they should be. I think it's monumental strictly because of the fact that it changed the whole rule for the NFL, and that's why we put it at number two. But moving on to number one, what I would call Parker's pride and joy, the 2013 Iron Bowl. Have at it. Where to begin, man? Where to begin? Obviously, we know that the Iron Bowl is played by uh, Texas A&M and Georgia. Mm-hmm. I'm kidding. Uh, you know, Auburn and Alabama. It, everybody uh, can probably agree with me here. And I really don't think this is bias. I've heard from other podcasts and just other people in general. If you ask them, what's your favorite rivalry game to watch on the rivalry weekend uh a lot of people typically you know they'll say their own and then the iron bowl is normally mentioned people will pay out the wazoo to go watch an iron bowl in person because it is truly a magical thing to go and watch and as i was saying uh at the way back at the number 10 spot um the 2013 SEC Championships was pretty big because it was Gus Malzahn's first year. And the 2013 Iron Bowl, also being Gus's first year, it's just, it, it was just an insane game. It was just, you know, a, it was a real nail-biter, in my opinion. And right at the end, Bama, who their kicker missed, I believe, like two field goals that evening, attempted a 56-yard touchdown because Nick Saban wanted to try and just shut out the game instead of going into an OT. Uh, I believe that's what happened, or he was trying to put it into an overtime. And so he basically, anyways, he attempted a 56-yard field goal with a kicker who had already missed a handful of field goals that night, which went back to Davis. He caught it in the end zone and ran it all the way back 101 yards. For Auburn to receive a touchdown, and with no time left on the clock, Auburn had won the football game. The quote of Rod Bramblett. Auburn's going to win the football Auburn's game. Auburn's going to win the football game. I remember as a little 13-year-old girl who's just starting to get into this whole sports fiasco, watching that and just being mesmerized, straight up. It was an insane play because not only did Davis catch it all the way in the back but he ran he was sprinting and if you watch the clip this guy is just running his butt off he is going as fast as he can a hundred yards and he i really don't think he lost speed right until he knew he was about to run into that end zone safely and he went all the way down to the sideline it looked like he could have stepped out there for a second and there were defensive players all around him or people trying to tackle him and, you know, Auburn playing players trying to guard him. And he just weaved 
right into that touchdown. It, ooh, that's one of the best sports moments of the decade, in my opinion. But that whole game, just the action and, you know, just how close it seemed, you know, that it was, it was truly a phenomenal game. I agree. Many lists on the internet and everything have that as the number one sports moment of this decade and honestly I can't disagree it was one of those things where obviously Auburn fans were jumping out of their seats screaming Alabama fans were starting to cry and everyone in between was just sitting on the couch with their jaw open like can he do that is that allowed is all is that it like it was just a state of awe it, as far as I'm concerned yeah and you know and that right there if you ever want a reason to go to an Iron Bowl, stuff like that happens, like, every year. The Iron Bowls are some of the most unpredictable football games of any football season, in my opinion. It just always seems like that. But, trying to stay unbiased here, but, you know, that is a shining moment of the decade with just how clean that play was. So that wraps up our top ten moments of the decade. If you want to let us know some of yours, you can DM us on Twitter or Instagram at the pocket sports be sure to give us a follow on those two platforms and i just want to say real quick thank you so much for the people who have taken the time to go ahead and you know follow us on social media and on spotify and you know give our podcast a listen it it truly means a lot to us yeah we love doing this it's only episode two and i think we're hooked i'm i'm hooked i'm ready to get her rolling then for the next time all right this was The Pocket. We'll see you next year. That's a great dad joke. Good job. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>